This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. You're listening to C-Suite Success Radio with your host and executive coach, Sharon Smith. If corporate success is your goal, C-Suite Success Radio offers you informative interviews with experts that will help you shorten your learning curve and accelerate your momentum to higher achievement. C-Suite Success Radio makes it simple and easy for you to tap into the wisdom of other successful business people who know the path you're traveling. If you're ready for success in corporate America, welcome to your new home at C-Suite Success Radio. And now, time for your host and C-Suite executive coach, Sharon Smith. Welcome to this week's episode of C-Suite Success Radio. I am your host, Sharon Smith of C-Suite Results. Each week we focus on success, a word we all know and something we strive towards, but not a word that's easy to define. All of our topics and guests are aimed to help you achieve the goals you've set for your organization and for yourself as a leader, but more importantly, to help you accelerate the pace of your success. On today's show, we have Paul Mangiamelli, Chairman and CEO of Legendary Restaurant Brands. Paul took the helm at Bennigan's in 2011 and now has more than 150 restaurants open or under contract worldwide. Bennigan's has experienced strong growth while simultaneously redefining casual dining. In February of 2015, Paul turned his passion into ownership when he and his wife, Gwen, purchased the company, Legendary Brands Restaurant. In February 2015, Paul turned his passion into ownership when he and his wife, Gwen, purchased the company. Let's listen to the conversation I had with Paul and learn how he defines success and the lessons he has learned to help you gain the edge you are looking for. And today I want to welcome Paul to our call. Thank you for calling in today. I am so looking forward to having this conversation. Welcome, Paul. It is my pleasure indeed. Thank you for having me. I love talking with you because there's always so much energy, so much fun and love, which we're going to talk about. And before we talk about all of that, I want you to share more with our listeners today about who you are, the work you do, what gets Paul up in the morning and excited for the day. Well, I have the unique honor and privilege to be leading the brands, the restaurant brands that actually created casual dining uh, 41 and 51 years ago, and those are Bennigan's and Steak Mill, respectively. The passion, the the love, the fun, the energy that goes into running these brands is what alerts me to a 25-8 day and week, and um, and it's been a lot of fun. And, and it's always a lot of fun when you love what you do, and it's always a lot of fun when you got a team that shares the same passion and work ethic that you do. I'm the lucky guy. And it sounds like the people who work with you are pretty lucky to have you as a leader with that kind of energy. I want to hear more about this 25-8 philosophy that you've talked about the secret of this is uh, a work ethic the secret of this is a culture that's been perpetuated for the 40 and 50 years and then tapping into the emotional connection that most people have with any brand but we're lucky to enjoy with with our brands the 
the connection that the brand was able to create years and years ago through the people, through the bartenders, through the servers, through the general manager, and, and through the ownership at that time. I'm, uh, I had the pleasure to know Norm Brinker, who is an icon of icons within food service. Uh, he went on to uh, become the CEO and then gradually bought out the founders of the Chili's chain and then went on to you know, get uh, Maggiano's and Macaroni Grill and On the Border, Chili's, and, and do a lot uh, around the world. And he was just such a great guy. And I had the pleasure of knowing him. I uh, never worked for him, but knowing him. And I can attest to his generosity of spirit, generosity of uh, intellectual capital. Uh, and, and this is, to me, uh, who never even worked for him. He's just, just a, a cool guy. And so the only two brands that he ever created were Bennigan's and Steak and Ale. For me to be the custodian and have basically writing the second chapter of these great brands is, um, again, as I said in the onset, uh, an honor and a privilege. So tell us, though, 25-8, because most people know 24-7. I'm curious, and I'm sure our listeners are curious, how do you squeeze another day into the week and another hour into the, or no, another hour into the day and another day into the week? Easy for you to say. Okay, well, <laughs> it wasn't. You know, you see, it's, it's so complicated, you can't even explain it. It's a mentality. It's mathematically impossible, of course. Right. But it's a mentality because today it's just not enough to work 24-7 because the nature of our brands, the nature of our industry, the nature of casual dining and the category itself is under assault. And it's under assault by the fact that there's been proliferation of the brand, casual dining brands throughout the years. Uh, there's proliferation of restaurants and the number of restaurants from a saturation standpoint, there's over a million restaurants in the United States today. It's close to, I think it's somewhere in the neighborhood of seven, $800 billion as an industry. And today, what's unique is you don't even have to go to a restaurant to eat anymore. Now there's food trucks or pop-ups or kiosks or, you know, go to Nordstrom and they have a restaurant. You go to Brooks Brothers and they have a restaurant or a cafe. And it's amazing how many retailers that are outside the food service space are now serving food. And so the occasion has become under assault. And, and for us to differentiate ourselves, we have to have a clear vision, a clear focus, an executable plan that drives more capture of uh, our customers that we call guests because of the relationship that we have with the patients that come to our restaurants and really deliver on a superlative that we term legendary, hence the name of our company, experience. To execute that is really, really hard. And so 25-8 is that work ethic that goes into leading green for Bennigan's. And of course we have leading the red and white, which is steak and ale. And then uh, you know doing the right thing for um, our guests that work hard for the money and we have to pay them the proper, proper respect from the food quality and the service and the ambiance and even the the details such as even the music that's being played. I think it's that level of attention and focus and drive that will win us enough market share for my franchisees to get a good return on their investment and, of course, my teams to have the satisfaction of a rewarding career and, and progression within that career. And, of course, the, the, the guests win because uh, we're giving them something of a special experience that for some reason that I can't really explain, at least not in the time that we have allotted, on why service has become an anomaly in full service, yeah. uh, where people are defecting to a tablet on a table. And when you're in full service, and where you're doing a full menu and a full bar, to have your guests order for themselves flies in the strategy of delivering a 
service environment, a service mentality, and a delivery of an extraordinary experience. There are so many tangents that can come off that uh, that I could speak probably extemporaneously now for the next three <laughs> hours, but it's just an interesting dynamic now. So for us to be able to differentiate ourselves, we must have the love and the, and the, and the passion for the brand, but also demonstrate that through a work ethic where um, we have to keep our menu fresh, we have to keep our beverage line fresh, uh, we have to constantly look on uh, menu creation, menu ideation, and also solicit from our guests, what do you want? So we can deliver to them what they're looking for, for an experience in either Bennigan's or Steak and Ale. And people listening who may be in a different industry can take that and extrapolate it into the work they do and how can they serve their clients and their customers and be innovative and constantly provide the service that their customers and clients deserve. That's exactly right. I mean, I, I really look at the industry, the food service industry, of being in, in, we're a retailer. Our widget is food and beverage, not shoes or dresses or any other kind of retail. Um, and, and it's all about merchandising, and it's all about the presentation, and it's all about this wonderful thing called value for the experience. I mean, can you give them a, a price-value relationship? And, and so we take extra pains to make sure that the food that we deliver, 99% of it is made from scratch. Now, you know, we make a lot of our menu items in-house. Our beverage, we have constant beverage ideation so that we're delivering a flavor-forward type of profile in our drink. Because, you know, the mixed drinks are back, spirits are back, yep. uh, the classic martini in Manhattan are back. And I think not only is it uh, not enough to present it, but you got to present it in glassware that's kind of cool or a garnish that's kind of cool uh, or food where uh, the portions are ample so that you can get a value delivered uh, by the guests. And, and a lot of it is subliminal. Uh, they don't even know why they just dig your your uh, your, your brand, whether it be Bennigan's or Steak and Ale, but they just know that. They were overcome with service and friendliness and respect. And, uh, and I think that's the traits that made dining out so successful back in the 50s and 60s and something that I want to reattach uh, to the brands that I'm honored to represent. So it must be challenging, I'm thinking, because so many – I'm not sure if all of your establishments are franchisees or some of them, but – and you have to get this passion and this ethic to be bought into, right, by lots of people who you don't right. have touch with every day. So you have to create a culture and ensure that the culture can be maintained regardless of you being there or being able to check in on them and the fact that they don't technically, quote-unquote, work for you. How do, how do you do that? Well, the first thing I did was gain by the purchase 100% control of our, of our company and of our brands and of our direction. And that by itself gives me enormous credibility within the franchise community because there's a lot of CEOs out there, and not to denigrate anybody or any brand, but there's a lot of CEOs that don't have $1 of his own invested in a brand or $1 of his own invested in one of the restaurants. Uh, and for, again, for the general li listening audience, I mean, uh, or for that matter, any of the, you know, retailers, you know, brands that, uh, that they represent. And if you don't have your own skin in the game, how do you expect other people, whether it's a, from a guest standpoint, uh, to purchase into your brand or from a franchisee standpoint to invest in your brand if you don't have your own skin in the game. So I wanted to demonstrate first and foremost that not only do I believe in my brands, but I put my money where my passion is, and I have complete control of the direction of these brands. It's It's been an invaluable tool and to the point where most of my other existing franchisees 
have now grown to their second, third, or fourth restaurant because they know that I'm here to stay. I'm not doing this as a CEO or chairman and looking for my next job. They know I'm here to stay, that this is about focus and, and it's about dedication. It's about a commitment that we're driving through the next level of food service. And I think the, the paradigm within food service has changed dramatically. And this gives me the ability from a control standpoint to really be able to be agile and to adapt, improvise, and overcome all the obstacles because we have complete control. We don't have to go to a board uh, or go through a bureaucracy. My, my board is my guest. My board is my, my, are my, my team of franchisees that give me their input because they've invested their hard-earned money in our brand. And I think that is where the inclusion and the collaborative spirit comes into play where together we become a very powerful force as a brand. And the competition is all around us so that when, when you can band in that diverse and deep intellectual capital to put against your brand, uh, it becomes, it becomes a, a reckoning force. That first and foremost was uh, the complete control. And the rest is the you know, communication piece, the involvement piece, the, uh, the constant uh, utilization of your supplier partners, that being who are part of your supply chain, whether it be on the, the meat side, the protein side, or any other aspect of our supply chain, from the, even from the beverage side, where they give you the ideation or test kitchens or chefs that they have full time, and be, you open the funnel very wide to get these ideas because today the, with the technology that's available to us, the world is moving very quickly. Before it used to be, back when I started, concept could stay the same and look and feel a menu for five, 10 years. Well, now it's about five or 10 minutes because <laughs> the dynamic nature um, of our business and the competitive nature of our business makes it mandatory that you pay attention. That in part answers part of your question in terms of, you know, how do we do it? Because that, that focus part and that control part is very key. You've had a long career, it looks like, in the restaurant business from looking at, you know, your your bio and some other information. It sounds like you have a lot of passion still to this day. What is it about this industry specifically that you are really excited about and really gives you that that level of fun and love? I have to go all the way back to the beginning of my um, my uncle owned a trattoria Italian restaurant in, in Little Italy, New York. And as a kid, there was about a bunch of nine of us cousins that ran around his restaurant. He was very smart, by the way, because we worked like dogs for hours upon hours upon hours to get 50 cents at the end of the night <laughs> or a 50 cent piece, if, if anybody can remember that. And we thought we were rich. And we would do things like clear the tables, clean and scrub all the pots and the pans. We would make some of the uh, appetizers and, and really just help out. And what a great orientation that is to work with people uh, that are on um, what I call my internal guests and my external guests. The internal, the are the employees, and, and there has to be that servant leadership there as well, and I learned it from the ground up. And then dealing, of course, with your other guests where, again, it's a new set of faces, a new set of personalities every single night, and so uh, it really built in a very strong work ethic. It, it built in an awareness of how dynamic the industry was. And the industry, uh, I mean, to take a look at it, I think the statistic uh, is one in every seven people in the United States work in a restaurant at some point in their lives. I think that's an amazing statistic, especially when you take a look at, you know, what our contribution as an industry is to our GDP and that it's made up mostly of small business owners. I mean, when you look at McDonald's as an example, it's not General Motors. It's 90% of it is franchise. So there's small business owners that are operating in our great country and are responsible for uh, providing an apprenticeship, if you will. It was almost like a guild of old where... Uh, you can learn a, a trade and, and a craft. And I think that trade, in our case, is service. Uh, whether it's a bartender or whether it's a server, 
or whether it's a host in the front of the house or whether it's uh, you're on the on the cook line and, and learning pantry or uh, learning how to work the grill or uh, the fryer or the charbroiler. It's an amazing learning experience, and I think it prepares you so well for wherever you go in your life. And, and I think the statistic of you know one in seven people in the United States working in a restaurant makes it mandatory, and I must get on my soapbox for just a minute, to really take a hard look at uh, the minimum wage discussion that's going on right now. Uh, no one, no one in, in, in casual dining wants to pay a 16-year-old, 17-, 18-year-old uh, kid out of high school or going to college Fifteen dollars an hour to bust there, and and so that age group, that younger age group, is going to be left out. So that unemployment section is going to be very high. Uh, the apprenticeship piece is going to go away, and then you jump to tip credit, where there's a, a lower amount that's paid against the minimum wage, whatever that is from a state standpoint, and it's made up by tips. Now the average server, regardless of category, uh, as long as it's a service type of uh, environment, makes about thirty bucks an hour. So the tip credit piece that's being eliminated in state to state is ridiculous to pay the server $15 an hour, which has just been voted on in a couple of uh, couple of different states, and they make tips on top of that. That throws off the complete model, whether it's a franchise model or just a business model for a restaurant, uh, so that the owner, that we're, where we work on usually a 5% margin, so a nickel out of every dollar, that com- has completely gone away when you go from $7.25 uh, from a federal-mandated minimum wage to a $15 minimum wage. It just doesn't make sense. And everybody that has rushed to um, increase these these rates to $15, $12 or whatever, wherever have already seen a multitude of restaurants and retailers close as a result. So we're not giving them more jobs. We're giving them less jobs. And in some in some cases, we're closing the, the operation entirely. So I don't see how that benefits anybody that wants to make a, a, a more comfortable wage. All I would ask for is an open discourse with people that actually work in a in a retail environment with the people that work within that environment, with the state legislatures or Congress um, or even the presidency, where they can see that if we want to perpetuate the success and get people working again and make America great again, it's really to pay attention to that small business owner that's responsible for you know, 60 plus percent of the GDP. Sounds like there could be a political goal in your future. You're very good at what you're saying, and it makes a lot of sense. And I'm not sure if you've ever thought about running for any type of local office or getting involved in politics? Well, you know what I think about? I think about, can't help but look at myself uh, when I was just a kid and starting out, that if somebody didn't give me that job to be the busboy or the bartender or the cafe manager uh, or the general manager of a restaurant, I would never have learned so much about this phenomenal industry that that gives so much. I mean, it's a, it really is an art. When you go to Europe, and some other countries within South America or Central America or Mexico. It's a it's a profession. Mm-hmm. It is. It's not working your way through college. It's a profession, Absolutely. and they and they're experts at it. Yep. And I and, and that's why I harken back to what I said earlier. Whatever happens is service. Um, today, again, if you get it, it's an anomaly. You're shocked. I know. And that shouldn't be that shouldn't <laughs> be the way. So it's not a political future that I'm looking for. I'm looking for uh, being able to provide opportunities for for the youth of today. This generation, whether it be the you know the millennials that everybody likes to talk about, or even the generation that's coming after them now, and giving them an idea of how to actually work, how to learn, 
and, and how to be productive in a in a retail environment because it's a wonderful learning experience. And you're also teaching face-to-face conversations because so many young people today are so involved in just texting and Facebook and social media and Instagram that they're not, and the fear for a lot of older folk is that they're, how are we going to have conversations 20 years from now if no one knows how to have a conversation? That That is so right. That is so right. you got to look up. you got to look people in the eye. you got to learn how to speak and be articulate. And again, this this industry, it's not the end-all, be-all, but I think it's it's been very good to me, been very good to my team. We, in, in casual dining, we, we provide a respite from all of us that are working really hard, you know, already working 25-8. Mm-hmm. And every once in a while, you don't want to wait in line and order twice. Like, I can't believe even, even a Starbucks that has grown geometrically, you know, they have all these points of distribution. And if I told you years ago that you're going to wait twice, for a cup of coffee, <laughs> right? You know, and, and pay and four dollars. Yeah, for it, you tell me I'm nuts. And here they are now that you know they're a, a, a tremendously successful company, mm-hmm. and now they're getting into again another example. They're getting into food, mm-hmm. but it's not just coffee or tea. Now it's now it's you know bar, it's alcoholic beverages, and it's getting into food, and not just a breakfast sandwich or a croissant, but they're getting into all three day parts: uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So it's an amazing thing, and that that person that's eating. That lunch is taking away from those of us that are in casual dining that have spent millions of dollars to open up a freestanding unit, you know, off the highway uh, because they're, they're eating lunch now in, in Starbucks or they're going to a Chipotle in a very sterile environment, going through the line. And the only service you receive, if you can call a service, is you finally get your burrito if you wait in line for 20 minutes. And today, the price, because of the wage pressure, by the way, and other mandates that we're, we're subjected to, it, it's as much there's parity now. With you being able to get a, a soft drink, uh, a hamburger, and French fries, and leave a tip in my restaurant, it would be kind of the same price that if you go to Chipotle and you get a burrito and guacamole and and a beer. Mm-hmm. So I think it's amazing. I think it's amazing. So wouldn't you want somebody to wait on you? That's not where you can just sit down and you just get bowled over by people that actually care about that experience and look you in the eye and you take that you, you take your order and you get a phenomenal what we call legendary experience out of it. That's my position on it. <laughs> oh, it's I great. For hours. No, I get it. I was one of those one in seven who's worked in the food industry and waitressed most of my way through college. First job, not not my very first job. I definitely worked counter doing bake at a bakery. I bus tables once. I definitely worked lots of restaurants as a waitress to include the fry line. So I know what it's like to clean a fryer out. That's disgusting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And work the dish room a bit. And yeah, it was it was a great job. I mean it was I really I really enjoyed the work and all the restaurants I worked at, they were all very different. And I think it does build character and does teach you something about how to treat others and service. And I'm a very picky customer now because I've worked in that yeah. environment and I know what good service should be and I know what good management looks like. And I don't know if you'll find this funny or not. When I was waiting tables, I never worked in a restaurant that would put the restaurant on a hold, you know, put the put a hold at the front door when there were empty tables. You just got double and triple sat and you had to deal with it. And I walk into restaurants now and there's empty tables and they're like, it'll be a 10-minute wait. And I don't understand. Right. I think that's that just flies not only in the face of common sense, but uh, from a service orientation. And and it's not like it only happens once. It happens all the time, so you got to prepare for it. Can't stand that either. Uh, and again, that's why service has become an anomaly because here you go. 
first of all, to get you to come through the door in the first place is monumental because if you're going, if you're giving your market share to that brand, whatever that is, somebody's losing market share. And then they tell you there's, there's tables open and they say, well, you know what? It's going to be a 15 minute wait. Or you know what? Here, take this, take this, um, whatever the device is right. that lets you know. Yeah. And then they go, go over to the bar and then we'll come get you. And you already see that there's empty tables. So again, mm-hmm. uh, you feel violated right from the get-go, and it's already ruined your experience. And you, need, and you just walked in the door. I know, and it's incredible how often that's happening. I this is fascinating. I know you could talk about this forever, and I'm enjoying it immensely. I do want to ask you because we only have a little bit more time together. I do want sure. to ask you what I always ask everyone on the call, since the name of the show is C-Suite Success Radio. I always ask my guests to give me their own personal definition of success. Success is not an accident. It, it's, it's all about all the things we just talked about. It's about hard work, and there, there is no substitute for it. It's about hard work, and it is about 25 days. And it is about perseverance uh, because there are setbacks. There's always a setback. And uh, I was lucky enough to go to the Naval Academy, uh, the U.S. Naval Academy in Annapolis, and you learn to you know, improvise, adapt, and always overcome, no matter what the obstacle is. And I carried that into my my business life. So the perseverance encapsulates a couple of things like, you know, learning, studying, sacrifice. But most of all, it comes to the, what we talked about right at the outset, love. Do you love what you do? Because when you love what you do, you don't mind putting in the 25 days because every day you're getting closer to an objective that you set with your team or for a personal goal. You never stop learning. I mean, I'm learning things all the time. I mean, a great case in point is uh, I'm right here in Lexington, Kentucky, where we just opened up a brand new Benigas. While other people are going bankrupt, while other people are closing, while other people are trying to figure out who their next CEO is, I'm opening up, I'm opening up my my beautiful Benigan's restaurants. I'm working on bringing back steak and ale brand. I got Benigan's on the fly. And I just talked to a brand new group, fresh. You know how it was when you first started your server uh, position. You get, you know, you get everybody in an, an all-store meeting, front of the house, back of the house, everybody. And you talk about, you know, what do we stand for? It's more than a bottom line. It's, all, it's more than trying to just get a sales number. It's about standing for something bigger than the P&L. It's more than a, it's more than a profit line. It's about standing for something that means something to our guests, and that's where we tap into that emotional connection, and, and that they, they got to know that every single thing they do is going to contribute or not um, to that legendary experience that builds that emotional connection. So I tie it all together. It's not like it's the strategy du jour or, you know, the new, the new mission and purpose that changes every, th- every two weeks. It's something that we absolutely stand for. And it's part and parcel of an industry um, that has been around for, you know, thousands of years, actually. And, and, it's, and it's one that I think we all in this industry should pay attention to, close attention to, especially if you're in the, in the full serve category with regard to uh, the, the level of service and experience that we give our guests. I love everything you said. One of it all stood out to me, but when you t- started talking about what do we stand for more than a bottom line, the front off the front of the house, back of the house coming together and, and having that conversation mm-hmm. so that everybody knows made me think of something I've been talking about with folks lately, which is employees and it doesn't really matter to me if it's food service or retail or corporate or what it is they have to be bought into the big picture and the big mission or they're just going to go somewhere else most people especially i mean or even more importantly to include the millennials they want to be part of something bigger than themselves they're looking for purpose and when they go to work every day just to do a job 
and someone else comes along and offers them a purpose or another job, it's very easy for them to move on and it's very easy for them to, and not just them, the millennials, I don't want anyone to get me wrong, them, employees, that if you don't understand the big picture and what you're working towards and how your role helps the organization get to that big picture and what they stand for, it's very easy for people to get disenfranchised and disengaged and and not provide that level of service. So I love that you brought up in the definition of success and what you're talking about, how it has to be more than the bottom line and it has to be a conversation about what we stand for. Absolutely. And, and, you know, passion and culture eat strategy for lunch. And when you have that as what you stand for, as you have that as a guiding principle, if that's your, if that's your true norm, I tell even my franchisees, I say, look, we'll make, we'll make more money collectively than if you have just focused on your bottom line, because there is no strategy where you save your way to profitability. You know, there's so many people that you see this all around too, where, you know, let's, uh, let's cut back on, let's cut back on uh, the portion here, or let's uh, make that we have an eight ounce burger. It's a half pound burger. It's a special grind just for Bennigan's. It's the best in casual dining. And so many people say, well, you know, what's the magic in eight? Why can't it be seven? And you can say, oh my goodness. It's like you want to ruin the, the bond and the integrity that you have with your guests by giving them something substandard. I, we just can't stand for that. So yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, when uh, we have a, a mission and a, and a purpose statement and everybody that's working for us anywhere, regardless of position, has to know it. And in, and I said, look, you don't have to learn it, but then you don't have to be here either. You can go work some relay cells. And it becomes what we're using as our true north because it is about paying respect to the, to the guests. And as I said before, by paying that respect, by doing all the things that we had already talked about, uh, the franchisees, the restaurant itself, the brands themselves will, will generate more money than if you had just focused on that. And every, every single time I've been in this kind of a situation, it has been proven out. So I know we're on to something really big here, and I really get, really appreciate you giving me a chance to uh, articulate it. Thank you. Oh, it's exciting. I love hearing anyone who's passionate about what they're doing and has something to share. We can all learn. I learn from these conversations. Today I'm recording four episodes, and every conversation I've had has set the biggest smile on my face because someone will say something, and I'm like, ugh. There's another nugget. And mm-hmm. as my listeners aren't listening to them all at the same time like I am, every week I hope people are listening and tuning in for new information. And as I said at the onset, grab one piece of information, one nugget they can take away. And if they're in a different industry, it doesn't matter. There's still lots of amazing things that you're saying that cross industry. It's about service. It's about integrity. It's about never stop learning, loving what you do. Um, the 25-8, all of that is industry agnostic. It's specific to success and culture. And I like that you said passion and culture eat strategy for lunch, since strategy isn't my strong suit, even though I do know I need to focus on it better. Um, But Mm -hmm. I I do like that. And it was kind of funny that you used a food analogy as well. And you've given us so much to think about and so many great um, nuggets and tidbits today. What would you say is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? So I was lucky enough to know um, uh, a man that was just like uh, the grandfather I never had, and his name was Customato. He was a very famous uh, boxing manager, uh, Mike Tyson, Floyd Patterson, Jose Torres. I was lucky enough to get into uh, boxing in New York when I wasn't busting tables for my uncle. And he took me under his wing, and he taught me that beautiful, sweet science, and I was lucky enough to get into the, uh, uh, the boxing trials in 1972 for the Olympics. 
But one of the things he said, which, which I carried into work, uh, in fact, I think about him every day, and he said that um, here's the definition of discipline. Whatever you want to do, make yourself not do. Don't let yourself do it. And whenever you don't want to do, make yourself do it. So you don't want to get up at five and do the road work and make weight? Too bad, fella. Get up, go to work, and get on the road and start running. Uh, you want to eat that piece of pie, but you got to make your, your weight? Can't eat it. We've got to push away from it. You don't want to, you know, uh, work 25-8, you make yourself work 25-8. So the, the, the definition of discipline from Customato is something I walk around with every single day. I share it with as many people as I can. I want to share it with your listeners. And, and, and by the way, I, I, it, this is really going to be such a, such a you know, I, I feel like a little, little um, uh, patronizing to myself. But I did write a book about Bennigan's Return to Relevance. Uh, it's on my website, Bennigan's.com. Uh, I'm not trying to sell the book, but if anybody find, found any, anything of wisdom in there, I got all these, these stories uh, of what we've done in order to uh, turn this brand around from bankruptcy, Chapter 7 bankruptcy. Uh, you can go to our website and take a look at it if you, if you want it for yourself. But that discipline is something that you, you just got to do 25 days because uh, the first time you don't, uh, your competitor will start winning, and you can't let that happen. Oh, it sounds like a great book, and especially from what you're talking about, turning a company around from chapter, was it chapter seven, into the growth that you've had. You've had amazing growth over since you've since you've taken over the organization. I mean, that's a that that's for anybody to read, regardless of industry, and it's one that I'll definitely want to check out. Outside of your book, what is your favorite book when it comes to leadership or personal development? I've read a million of them, but. Uh the last book I read was, was, was the Steve Jobs book. I just thought it was a, a brilliant articulation of how Steve Jobs went from, you know, basically a kid and surrounded himself with a lot of talented people to grow to one of the largest market cap companies in the world today, Apple. And I remember there were three things that one of his business advice, because, you know, you always need a coach. And he was smart enough to know he needed a coach. So early on, when he came back to Apple and he had a business coach and, and he said three things, you know, and I'm, and I'm kind of paraphrasing uh, and using my own terminology, but the three things that you needed for your business, and that was focus, empathy, if you can believe that, and perception. From what I and know about Steve things, Jobs, that's surprising. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so you wouldn't think Steve Jobs as empathetic. But, you, but empathy is also understanding what other people want. Mm-hmm. They, they wanted a Walkman that they can put into a little, a little box that held 5,000 songs. Yeah. And then, um, you know, God, if he was alive today, what, what he would have um, – what, what other new products uh, we would have had, uh, you know, the iCars and the, uh, and the <laughs> um, iTVs and you know, the iSpacecraft and who the hell, the hell knows what else. But um, it, it was just brilliant, and the perception is even in – even today, I mean, the, the reputation of anything, anything new coming out of Apple, whether it's the i7 or i17 or the i92, <laughs> uh, people are standing in line trying to buy it. They're going to be the first ones to have it because you created that perception of craveability. Yeah. you got to have it. you just got to have it. Regardless of what anybody else is doing, you just got to have it because it's a new Apple product. And, so, uh, and then his focus was, you know, he didn't try to do everything at the same time. He focused on one product at a time. He might have been working on a lot of iterations of it, um, but his focus was keen. And I think anybody in any industry, in any business, in any position, can use those three words uh, to apply to their own, their own career goals or their own business goals. 
uh, and and you know make that something tangible uh, that would, would that would assist them greatly. Wow, this has been really fantastic, Paul. Thank you so much for joining us and for all that you have shared. I I love it. This has been a really wonderful conversation, and I appreciate your time, especially with traveling. You're in Kentucky opening a new restaurant, and you took the time out to talk with us today. So thank you so much. Well, you're very welcome. I'll never miss a chance to evangelize. <laughs> and I did feel like uh, an evangelist today, but uh, to share to share the power of the brands and, and, and share whatever knowledge because it's all about it's all about all of us trying to help one another and then we all become better uh, you know as a result so thank you thank you for the opportunity to do that it's so appreciated absolutely and the thing about evangelizing means that you're passionate about something and you did it in a way that was authentic and and um, empathetic and sharing from your heart so there's nothing wrong with that I appreciate it. You're welcome. You made me feel so good. I'm going to go get a world-famous Monte Cristo now. That sounds fantastic. (laughs) Well, I'll take a bite for you. And get a martini with it. Okay, I think it's cold. (laughs) Have a good day, Paul. Thank you. You too. Bye. Thanks again. Thanks for listening today. Tune in for our next episode. And in the meantime, you can get more resources at www.c-suiteresults.com. Make it a successful day. Like what you just heard, visit c-suiteradio.com. C-Suite Radio, turning the volume up on business. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.